when all is said and done, uh, we're going to have one of, if not the smallest implanted uh, devices uh, on the market today in healthcare. When it comes to health technology, often the next big thing is really, really small. Welcome back to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and the innovators who are transforming health. I'm Logan Plaster. My guest on the show today, Dr. Will Hendren, has seen personally that when it comes to implanting a medical device in the body, size matters. Dr. Hendren spent decades as a surgeon working with rescue devices like pacemakers, which themselves have evolved from being the size of a pack of cigarettes to being smaller than a AAA battery. It doesn't take a degree in biomechanical engineering to appreciate that you want a lower profile machine if you're going to put it next to your heart. Now, with his company, Cura, Hendren's taking that concept to the next level. He and his team are on the leading edge of miniaturizing medical devices to such an extreme degree that it opens up a whole new market for remote patient monitoring. In our interview, we'll talk about how Hendren and his team have built an implantable the size of a vitamin that can take blood pressure readings passively and transmit that information to the patient and their caregiver wirelessly. We'll talk about some of the tiny tech that was necessary to invent in order to make this breakthrough possible. We can actually power this internally with a tiny, tiny uh, little solid state rechargeable lith solid lithium battery. And we'll talk about how remote patient monitoring at scale could be a game changer for hypertension and heart disease, which are two of the top causes of death globally. Let's get into it. Dr. Will Hendren, CEO of Cura, I welcome you to the show. I'm very excited to have you on Startup Health Now. Well, it's excellent to be here, Logan. Good morning. So we are having this conversation. I heard through the Startup Health community about some really cool stuff you're working on. So I wanted to get you onto the show. And uh, I heard that you are really making some substantial uh, progress in miniaturizing medical devices to such a degree that we can implant uh, new types of sensors uh, into the body and really take remote monitoring to a new level. So I wanted to get you on the phone, understand where we're at, both at the micro level, no pun intended, what you're building, but also the macro level of kind of where are we at in the industry of implantable devices. It's a big conversation. So why don't you start by just giving us a, an understanding of what you've built with Cura? We can kind of go from there. Sure. Well, uh, again, thanks for uh, inviting me to uh, speak with you. So we're really excited about what we're doing at Cura. Uh, Cura was really founded with the basic premise of uh, being able to measure pressure in the human body, regardless of where, where uh, that pressure is being measured, and getting that information out of the body uh, in some sort of way that could be useful clinically. What we really are all about is very, very specialized, highly miniaturized uh, technologies uh, for uh, small implantable sensors to measure pressure, uh, to then trans that pressure wirelessly out of a body, out of the body automatically uh, in a way that can really revolutionize the care of patients with certain chronic diseases. Uh, such as hypertension, which is uh, our first uh, target. Okay. Talk to me about some of the technologies that had to be developed in order to check blood pressure in a device uh, that is small enough to be implanted. Well, that, that's a big and loaded question because uh, we have a tremendous amount of innovation 
uh, and patented technology around what we're doing. And uh, this is a, a story which has been in evolution for well over five years now. Uh, so the first is that we've perfected the art of extreme miniaturization of all of the kinds of components, electric and otherwise, that are needed uh, to get things into a very small size so that we can put them in different parts of the body uh, without them being noticed at all. Number two is that uh, we've perfected uh, some technologies around how we actually coat and protect all of these uh, components uh, in such a way that um, uh, they function beautifully and are not injured at all. Number three is we've got a lot of technology that we've developed on how we actually power this. Uh, we actually power this, uh, and a lot of this technology simply was not possible uh, uh, as three or four years ago, but mm. uh, so we can actually power this internally with a tiny, tiny uh, little solid state rechargeable lith solid lithium battery. Uh, we've uh, dramatically uh, made some uh, uh, um, uh, new technical advances in how then we can wirelessly uh, transmit the data out of the body and at the same time keep the battery charged wirelessly by uh, two-way street uh, getting power into the implant at all times. So there's a lot of innovation, yeah. many patents that sort of underpin all this. But the exciting thing is that it works. Uh, and we're, we are well on the way down with our uh, first implantable device. Interesting. Uh, question for you. Um, I'm guessing that extreme miniaturization uh, of these types of technologies uh, exist in other fields that have had to sort of move that direction first. And now we're seeing it in, in healthcare more. Is that fair to say? Well, I think that's, yeah. And I think in healthcare, you know, the story of miniaturization is really important because you know, uh, there are many, many potential applications that we can address with what we're doing. And so it's really important if you're going to stick things in the human body uh, that, you know, obviously we can't stick something the size of a microwave in a human body. So this concept of having things at a really small scale are really highly important and are core uh, to our story. Um, the reality of it is that um, I believe when all is said and done, uh, we're going to have one of, if not the smallest implanted uh, devices uh, on the market today in healthcare. Uh, and we can even go further and we will in the future. Okay, let's talk about use cases. You mentioned hypertension, you mentioned measuring blood pressure. Uh, talk to me about that potential use case, kind of what's being tested and and how it could impact patients. Yeah. That's a great question. So, you know, my background is I am a dyed-in-the-wool uh, cardiac surgeon in my former life, and so I've spent my entire uh, professional career uh, relate, uh, around cardiovascular disease. And this actually was ideated, and the first application was for creating a really, really small uh, device to put in the human eye to measure glaucoma. But it became very relevant and apparent uh, to me uh, when I um, uh, took over the company that the uh, cardiovascular world is just enormous, enormous uh, in size and complexity. And so many of the diseases that we take care of every day 
are directly related to pressure. Uh, diseases like uh, high blood pressure or hypertension, congestive heart failure, and many, many others. And so our first application is a very small device to put just underneath the skin on top of an easily accessed artery, uh, such as the radial artery, which runs in your forearm. It's an ideal landing target. Uh, and then just under local anesthesia, position this, and you will have continuous, very high quality uh, blood pressure data. In fact, we have proven, and this was a really big um, uh, seminal event, and we knew this would work, that we actually have proven that the pressure that we get uh, with this and with this approach is totally equivalent to actually having an interarterial line uh, placed in, in, in a person. And every medical student knows that that's really the gold standard wow. of uh, pressure measurement. So we're pretty excited that we can get and uh, deliver data that is of the very highest uh, quality uh, and accuracy uh, that is equivalent to the so-called gold standard, but without having to stick uh, something into the artery itself. Yeah, I mean, just for our, our listeners who aren't familiar with you know, the clinical side here, we're talking about the gold standard being something highly invasive, right? It's it's invasive. I wouldn't heart heart surgery is highly invasive. Yeah, I don't exactly. I don't consider interarterial line, but yes, it is. But you're, but you're in the you're in the hospital. You're, you're being, in the ICU or in the ICU. Hospital. You're being monitored constantly. Correct. It's not something you do casually. Yeah, compared to you know this this implantable, um, you know when I mentioned the, when I mentioned the idea of implantable something in your forearm to you know a friend you know when we're just talking they they get concerned uh, about putting medical devices under the skin. And I think part of that is sort of forgetting about all of the other things that we implant. Oh like my the, gosh, yes. You know, so kind of remind us about the implantable market and how this is not really a new concept of putting something battery powered in the body. Oh, not at all, not at all. In fact, uh, healthcare today would not be where it is without the kinds of devices and implants that are available. And I laugh at that, you know, um, the reality of it is implants have been around for well over 70 or 80 years. Mm. What I is as a heart surgeon every day, putting new heart valves in and implanting pacemakers and all these kinds of diseases. These are all big implantable devices. Mm -hmm. uh, so the reality of it is, and I'm holding this up for you. I don't know if you can actually see or project that. Yeah, it is our first generation device. Okay, uh, it'll fit. Uh, wait, hold, wait, hold it up against what I see it. So, for those of us, uh, for those listening on the podcast, it's about the length of what a your thumbnail. A thumbnail. Okay, maybe a little less than an inch. Yeah, it's it. It, 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 it looks like a medium sized pill that you might swallow. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, I, that's not that's not too bad. Not, that's not too bad at the descriptor of it. And just for fun. I actually took this just to give you I, this, uh, and, and that is, let me just mention something about this. Uh, this device is a little machine. So in this is a whole bunch of technology uh, that makes all of this uh, possible. Inside this little machine, uh, we have a number of different elements, including a tiny, tiny pressure sensor, which would fit into the period at the end of a sentence 
uh, just to give you an idea of the scale of things. It's actually got a, um, a uh, uh, antenna in order to accomplish the transmission of the data out. Uh, it's got a microcontroller. We've got a tiny battery in there, a communication chip, an accelerometer. Uh, and and uh, so just that's to give you an idea that this is a very sophisticated uh, piece of machinery uh, uh, all uh, fitting into that. Form just factor just that. to back you up for a second, uh, you're a surgeon. You're not an yeah. expert in miniaturizing devices. Talk to me about the process of figuring out how to uh, accomplish some of these difficult tech, you know, challenges? Well, you know, I am a surgeon, uh, but I'm also, uh, feel like, uh, that I've got a, uh, uh, a lot of expertise now in engineering and, and some of these elements because we're extremely fortunate, uh, to, uh, be working with some of the most talented and experienced, uh, biomechanical engineers in the world who have expertise in all of the kinds of things that go into this. So experts in sensor technology, expertise in wireless uh, data communication, uh, in uh, powering and batteries, in AI. This is all about the data that we're gonna generate. Uh, and uh, AI is gonna be a, an important uh, anchor and part of that story. Uh, because at the end of the day, this is all about eliminating uh, the problems that are associated with the management of hypertension today. And I think it would be important for your listeners to actually understand why we're going after hypertension in this particular market. Yeah. You know, I invite any of uh, the listeners uh, to just go to our website, www.curate.com. Cura-med.com, uh, because on that we have some hyperlinks to, you know, uh, explain the huge issue uh, related to hypertension in the world today. You can quickly access the U.S. Surgeon General's report and the very recently released WH uh, report on global hypertension. And the scope of the issue and the numbers are just mind-boggling you know, over a billion, one and a half billion people worldwide with uh, high blood pressure. In the United States alone, one out of every two U.S. adults with the problem. Mm. And of those, one third of the people with hypertension are extremely at extremely high risk from having the disease, where it actually causes huge uh, uh, problems such as death and complications. It's the number one cause of stroke. It's the number one cause of heart failure, uh, renal failure, and, and a multitude of other life-threatening diseases. So it's a huge, huge yeah. problem. And the problem with the management of it today, and this has been known for a long time, is really pretty simple. And that is that there really is no reliable way to measure blood pressure in a reproducible way that actually can then what I'd like to call it's actionable, meaning that the data thing get to the caregivers in a way that informed decisions could be made. And the second huge problem with the management of hypertension is one in general that's in healthcare, and that is poor patient compliance. So many people just, you know, just don't do what they need to do. And so, 
the reality of it is if you ask them to be participating in their care and doing this and getting their blood pressure, they, they're just unable to handle it. And so Cura was designed, and this was designed specifically to answer those two problems. And we solve both of these problems. We get really high quality, continuous data that is readily in the hands of the people who need to make the decisions. And number two, it's automatic. It's like that ever ready bunny. You know, yeah. once it's in, always on, always working. And the data is there. The patient doesn't need to do a darn thing uh, to uh, have this, uh, the advantage of this high, high quality data. And coming back to your question about implants, as a surgeon, I never in my entire career had a patient who ever didn't do what we recommended to do. And this is going to be a game changer. This is going to add life and quality of life to their care uh, with you, many, many advantages. When you say they did what you did, what you suggested, you yeah. if you suggested you need a pacemaker, they didn't say, oh, I don't like, exactly. I don't like implantables. <laughs> they said, I'll take it, doc. Exactly. Let's let's get really practical about how life would be different. Let's sort of fast forward five years. Let's say you, you work through all the safety trials that you need to do and someone with hypertension or the risk of hypertension gets the implantable. Now they have continuous data coming to them, assumedly, and to their doctor. They're, yeah. I, my assumption is that they're able to watch a line of data and see highs and lows. It sounds a little bit like wearing a continuous glucose monitor. Are there parallels there that are important? I think that's a great uh, uh, parallel. And so, you know, glucose, continuous glucose monitoring is the real deal. I lost my only sister from diabetes, from juvenile diabetes. And so it's mm. a disease that I've, you know, dealt with my entire life on uh, one level or another. And, you know, the advances in diabetic care are just dramatic. And uh, the big story now is the ability to have continuous reading of blood sugar by the patient in a very responsible, reproducible way. And it's not a perfect solution. The technology there is not as uh, a permanent solution, meaning you got to change the sensor uh, not infrequently. It's uh, got some cost issues, but good Lord, having you know the blood sugar right in front of you uh, and and being able to you know make smart decisions about what you eat or whether you need more insulin is now it's the gold standard. It is the standard of care. And so your analogy is correct. And we believe that what we'll be doing and being able to have that blood pressure immediately and continuously uh, on a uh, on your smartphone it, is a huge advance. So if you have type 1 diabetes, you see that you're hypo or hyper, your blood sugar is up or yeah. down, and you maybe immediately do something to kind of remedy that situation. You're, you're real-time adjusting. Do you see that kind of real-time real -time adjustments happening with hypertension, or is this more about like longitudinal data? So it's actually about both, but mostly about the longitudinal data. So one thing I can promise you is that we're going to totally change our, the understanding of hypertension because the data that we're going to be producing just is not available today. And so this is not about the minute-to-minute -minute blood pressure, so to speak, as more about the trend data and the trend analysis. And um, so 
it's not that the doctors or others are going to get flooded with, you know, data continue. It's, you know, once a month, we'll have a snapshot where we can, you know, download that patient data. There's your whole trend. There's the month right in front of you. Uh, you know, look at this. Mrs. Smith goes up to, you know, 180 over whatever every night around this time. It's going to be able to really personalize and tailor uh, therapy to them. But at the same time, we, we will have alerts. So that means if someone is fragile and the doctor does not want to see that blood pressure going over or wants to know if the blood pressure is out of a range that uh, is important, that will immediately uh, trigger alerts uh, to the uh, patient and to the caregiver. And uh, so uh, it, it's, uh, it's about both but in my opinion, it's the long-term trend data because it is all about the data. And really it's about the data that we will be able to analyze. And we will be able to do so-called predictive analytics. Mm. We're gonna be able to tell when patients are starting to get into trouble because it usually happens. Those kinds of things get telegraphed well before symptoms uh, actually develop. And that's actually one of the problems with hypertension. It's nicknamed the silent killer. Mm. And that's because people aren't aware of it as they might when a blood sugar goes to, you know, very low levels, they get dizzy or they pass out or they, they know it. Uh, hypertension, that's not necessarily the case. And so, um, yeah. so we're pretty excited about, you know, how this is going to greatly impact the care of patients with this. So really, this is... This has been a long time in coming. These types of devices take a long time to prove out, prove out safety. Um, when will this be available for my loved ones uh, in the future? And yes, what, what, so, what, will, what will it take to get there? Yeah, that's a great question. So the reality of it is we are marching forward very quickly. Uh, all of the uh, uh, proof has been uh, demonstrated in animals as well. And we are uh, going to be in human beings, targeting being in uh, humans uh, by the end of this year. Wow. Uh, we, uh, uh, as most of your listeners will understand, there's a process to the uh, path of getting to the market, but we're extremely confident of that. Uh, and we think that we will have a, a device in the market and approved uh, in a year and a half from now. Is this a, a crowded market? Is there like a race towards miniaturized implantables or do you feel like you're kind of out in front? Well, I clearly think we're out in front. So the world is starting to wake up to the problem of hypertension and what a big problem it is. And that's reflected in some of the uh, new devices that are coming to market uh, by some big companies such as that are things for renal denervation and other uh, methods for uh, 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 taking care of patients with uh, hypertension, newer drugs, better drugs. Uh, but the reality of it is we are unique. We are the only implantable solution, or I will say we will be the first implantable solution to market. And our approach is uh, just head over heels, uh, more uh, uh, streamlined and has so many advantages to you know, the current standards of measuring blood pressure. And I like to, you know, sort of, it might be a good point to, this is not a high cost solution. Our device, and this is going to be a low cost solution 
with all of that machinery in here is a low cost solution uh, because at scale, we can manufacture this quite inexpensively. And so I like to say that a 15 minute little procedure under local anesthesia in the doctor's office that gives you a lifetime of high quality continuous blood pressure data, that's worth the ticket of admission, the price of admission. Wow, wow. I, I, listening to you, my assumption is that this will become a platform, as we say, and that measuring blood pressure would just be one metric. But once you have all the miniaturization technology in place, there are probably other biometrics that you'll do in the future. Well, well, well you, you stole some thunder. Uh, the reality of it is, yes, this is a platform technology, uh, and we have a number of uh, very attractive and interesting use cases, uh, again, around the concept of biosensor, yeah. wireless transmission, implantation, and, uh, and uh, longevity. Yeah. This market is so hot, and there's so many different ways people are thinking about how to take, you know, ambient biosensors. Uh, people must be looking at you, and there must be a sense of sort of like a race towards the best, cheapest, most ambient, uh, cost-effective biosensors on the market. Do you feel like that's the case? Well, I don't know how quickly the race is being won because there's a lot of blocking and tackling that has to happen ahead of time. As I said, we've been at this now for well over five years. We have a, a very significant patent portfolio to back up what we're doing. And uh, the reality of it is, is that this is all good. There's not going to be one device or one sensor uh, or one sensor approach that fits everything. And I'm a big, uh, big supporter of, you know, the competition because I actually view this as, you know, it is going to be a combination of things. And I have no question in five years from now or 10 years ago, 10 years from now, this is going to be very commonplace and that people are going to have more than one biosensor and more than one approach to that particular biosensor. Uh, it's, it's, this is not a fantasy. This is not Star Wars. This is real stuff, uh, real medicine. Uh, and the future, as many of the listeners know, is in data. And that's what we're all about. Better data, better patient care. I love it. I love it. Dr. Hendry, that's a beautiful note to end on. I, I love that note about encouraging the competition. It's a, it's a, it's a rising tide that's going to lift all boats. Patients are going to have different uh, devices for different needs, and it's a time to encourage the entire ecosystem of innovation, not try to grab at what we can at the expense of others. So I appreciate that sentiment. Yeah, well, that's that's how the world evolves. Nice. Dr. Hendren, thank you for your time today. We are excited about what you've built and kind of the moment you're at now as you move into human trials this year. That's so exciting. We'll be watching uh, and looking for the next big update. Uh, but uh, this is game changing. So I appreciate you giving me the update. Well, I'm delighted to do it and uh, happy to join you anytime you ask. All right. All right. Well, you, you be well and we'll check in soon. All right. Thank you, Logan. Take care. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back again with another episode next week.